Welcome to the Visegrad Inside podcast from Central Europe on Central Europe. Hello, hello. This is Visegrad Inside podcast recording on 12th of December 2021. Uh, together with Malik Banat, uh, we're sitting uh, in our two studios, home studios. My name is Wojciech Szybelski, recording the podcast with a weekly outlook um, and discussions about uh, the state of Central Europe this week. Uh, so, Malik, what are we going to talk about? So, on our calendar for this week, quite quite a few high-level meetings. Um, we start off right off the bat, actually, uh, as we are recording the podcasts. It's Sunday evening. Um, um, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz has, uh, is currently in Warsaw. So this is the first time he's visiting Poland in the capacity of his new uh, newly elected position, and uh, he he's meeting with uh, Polish uh, PM uh, Mateusz Morawiecki tomorrow already on Monday. The French French President Emmanuel Macron will be in Budapest for bilateral talks with Hungarian officials, but also a summit with uh, the Prime Ministers of the Visegrad countries. So there will also be a V4 summit with Macron, Alain Macron. And then, uh, last but not least, on the 15th of December, we have the long-awaited um, sixth EU summit of the Eastern Partnership countries, uh, which we have prepared a lot of great texts that are out and about already for you to read. Absolutely. Um, this week and the previous week uh, has a full calendar, a full full public publishing schedule, so to say, for the week. The opening week starts with an interview with Vera Jourova um, that we uh, co developed in collaboration with our partners at Telex, um, Hungarian independent Hungarian uh, news portal. And Vera Jourova uh, answers the questions about the uh, EU Commission application of the rule of law conditionality. As we know, Commission is reluctant to release the first installment uh, um, later this uh, year, and the first installment of the uh, Recovery Resilience Funds will be released only next year, which means that it will fall under the all the uh, rule of law conditionality designed for the for the new European budget. Um, that is going to spark a lot of um, conflict again, but the situation seems to be very clear, and we have also an opinion of the Advocate General of the European uh, uh, Tribunal of, of Justice, indicating that uh, the tribunal will reject claims by Hungary and Poland that the rule of law mechanism um, is. Uh, is stepping out of the parameters of the European Union legal framework. Uh, so that, uh, along with um, a text by Krzysztof Izdebski, a marching rule fellow at Visegrad Insight, that discusses also other jeopardies to the uh, to the to the transparency of um, of the pub of the EU funds are going to be a strong focal point and they overlap and follow up with the topics that we've started some time ago uh, and in particular they relate to the last week's summit for democracy um, during which 
the administration, Joe Biden's administration, has uh, released a new strategy to fight corruption and is hardening uh, the position of the U.S. government uh, and allied governments on the case of corruption. So all in all, this is one big topic uh, that is not only a European topic, but is likely to be reinforced in this transatlantic tandem and more uh, across the world in order to defend not only democracy, but the type of investment you make um, uh, with a democratic setup, uh, financial investment, I mean, and also government's uh, investments that go um, uh, uh, across the globe uh, and uh, and are meant to uh, consolidate and, and, and uh, consolidate democratic setup. So uh, a big thing there um, of other topics that we have also planned for uh, this week worth reading is uh, Marcin Zaborowski evaluation of the EU strategic compass uh, with uh, the current version of the of the document proposing that we will have rapid response force largely uh, an idea that largely stems from uh, the uh, the withdrawal from Afghanistan and uh, lack of European capacities uh, capabilities uh, to to uh, to respond collectively to such uh, emergency situations and but at the same time there is a there is a discussion there's ongoing discussion and differentiated position when it comes to um, military industry and the positions of Central European countries and the general um, strategy of especially driven by uh, by the other countries of the EU seem to be divergent and there is going to be an interesting debate stemming from that so uh, those uh, those two topics are important uh, you can expect also stories on Belarus but I uh, but uh, the, the stories on Belarus relate also to the discussions simply we have had on the future of Belarus in Europe. Um, yeah, so uh, all in all, that's our publishing schedule. But uh, now maybe on to the specific topics. Um, you mentioned that we have uh, Olaf Schulz visit in Warsaw. We have um, Emmanuel Macron visiting uh, all the V4 partners in uh, on Monday in Budapest. And there is the summit, uh, Eastern Partnership Summit. All of them have a particular political importance and uh, so where do we start what do you think well let's start uh, with the as, as as it's going live before they do finish all talks um what M mr schultz uh, what 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 agenda is he coming to to warsaw because um of course both sides know what to expect from each other Nord stream 2 or uh, from poland side is going to be a big emphasis because we're yet to hear an official position from the new G new German government. Um, on the German side, uh, definitely rule of law will be something uh, to pick a bone with, with Warsaw. Um, so, Wojtek, how, how do you see the future um, Polish-German relations with the new administration? Well, first of all, uh, these are the two most important partners uh, in Central Europe. Uh, when you evaluate it, strictly speaking, from the point of economy, but also the uh, security uh, potential. Um, there is a there is a change now with uh, Mr. Schulz and the uh, Green Lights Coalition, which is very Im important 
and also in a way favorable to the views on the uh, regional security that have been uh, expressed both by the PIS government and and the opposition that, for instance, uh, are about Nord Stream 2 uh, with a Greens strong position, considering that any such energy project is redundant and also actually harmful for the unity of European Union and for uh, regional partners. And Mr. Schulz um, is definitely looking for uh, collaborating, working more with with a French partner, and also is looking at uh, at the um, at the other partners in the EU. But the visit in Warsaw right after Brussels and Paris indicates that it, he seriously considers state of affairs between the two countries. Now, on the Polish side, we have just heard last weekend, and there is a brilliant piece by Adam Leszczyński. Um, we heard uh, allegations from Mr. Kaczynski about Fourth Reich and, and the strong anti-German uh, phobia element in the political narratives of the government. But uh, that is, to a large extent, driven by insecurity and lack of uh, contact and lack of context uh, also for of the Polish political leadership, current Polish political leadership, um, especially Mr. Kaczynski. Um, and at the same time, I think it is not going to be something uh, determinant uh, for, the, for the future of Polish-German relations. Germany are keeping, uh, the German government is going to keep it cool um, on the Polish-German relations as it has before. It will most probably uh, keep fingers crossed for a political change that might happen in 2023, but it will not do anything to damage the relations. And perhaps even with, uh, we'll see how the case of Nord Stream 2 goes, but also how how certain discussions on the about security and common response to the security in Ukraine and in Belarus will go. This will be uh, a new opening, which may move even this government, PIS government, a bit closer to uh, to uh, to their to their partners in Berlin. Um, now, on the second the second element, the Macron's visit uh, to V4. I think it's an interesting one. Um, French presidents were visiting or acknowledging the existence of the V4, Visegrad group format, uh, a few times. Uh, there was, a, so it's nearly, a, you know, it's a universal progress uh, all the time. First, uh, there was uh, Mr. Chirac, who was happy that the Visegrad, uh, that he, he said he would be happy if the Visegrad would keep quiet uh, during the uh, coalition uh, building about uh, war in Iraq. Then um, there was Mr. Sarkozy. Uh, Mr. Sarkozy complained about V4 coordinating their EU policy ahead of uh, the EU summit. Um, but, uh, well, we forgot that uh, this is the regular business between all countries in all possible groupings, including French and German, not to mention Benelux or Nordics. And, and then there were mild steps towards acknowledgement of the V4. Interesting thing is now Macron is coming here, acknowledging V4 existence, 
in Budapest um, with potentially his greatest adversary, uh, ideologically, not in terms of strength, Mr. Orban, and uh, showing he's not afraid, first of all, of the Eastern Central European uh, dimension, also in the political communication, and he's ready to talk to everyone, any um, any groupings of, of that sort, uh, in preparations to the EU presidency of France uh, that starts next year. So I think this is um, an, uh, also a potential uh, 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 mitigation of, 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 you know, of some of the maybe um, political weight uh, that, uh, or, or kind of the way of the, the, the European format of, of politics that his contenders uh, uh, have been trying to show towards centralists in Europe. He shows that he talks to centralists in Europe, to Visegrad uh, group, and uh, that happens uh, a week after, almost, I mean, a little bit more than a week after, after uh, Le Pen visit, and also uh, she met with several Central European um partners it's very interesting i don't think at all that, that it is not crucial it's not determinant for the french uh, campaign but it's interesting to see that it happens during the campaign the presidential campaign in in uh, in, in in france absolutely and um, in, in the run-up to the eap summit um, we we released quite a timely definitely timely text last week by a uh, fellow uh, Pavel Havlicek, who mentions that, you know, um, taking stock of everything, the EU has largely resigned on more practical steps towards enlargement and the Euro-Atlantic orientation of individual EAP countries. Um, but nonetheless, um, in, he mentions that and brings examples of individual EU member states that have engaged, still and found a way to engage in the region and bolster the common uh, European approach. Um, what are your uh, forecasts and predictions for the summit, Void? There isn't much to expect. It, it, it's not going to be a breakthrough, but it's going to be a very important symbol. Um, it, it's four years after, uh, since the, the uh, previous summit has taken place. Um, and it was a very turbulent year last year when the EAP had 10 years anniversary in the middle of the pandemic and there was a breakout of uh, uh, of the war in, again in uh, between Azerbaijan and Armenia so uh, the fact that EU is putting EAP summit on the calendar they, it is emphasizing that the meeting should take place in person is sending a very important uh, message that the EAP is at the core of EU policy. The framework is an important um, response uh, to uh, well, lack of better uh, offers um, regarding the neighborhood, EU neighborhood. Um, and indeed, Pavel underlines, Pavel Havlicek in the piece uh, that we published, underlines all the, all the elements um, that are missing and that, that uh, the EAP countries shouldn't be counting on, including the enlargement per se. Uh, uh, and it is also very timely because of how, uh, again, important is uh, the context of Russia aggressive posture. 
uh, EU's response to Russia's aggressive posture is, okay, let's have a summit to remind our neighbors that uh, there is a process that they can get engaged in and that process is already benefiting them. As we indicated in our report last year, also along with trends on Eastern Partnership, there is a considerable progress nobody wants to resign from when it comes when, when it's seen from EAP countries. All of the EAP countries are increasing trade with the EU and they're benefiting from the various sorts of assistance and buildup of uh, connectivity with uh, the EU. The EU is the uh, the main game, game in town, uh, not only economically, but also in terms of uh, policy and uh, legal adjustments. Uh, so there is a uh, there is a process that well will cons- take considerably more time, and at the same time, some of the countries of EAP, uh, okay, some of them are where they used to be, but some of them are definitely moving with a very ambitious agenda. This is Ukraine, uh, Moldova and Georgia. Ukraine perhaps the most ambitious um, in setting the goal of uh, advancing their way into the bloc, into the EU in a, in a considerable time frame. And I think that makes the event uh, on, on Wednesday so, so interesting and worth uh, watching and also worth reading, not only the analysis of... Uh, uh, Pavel Havlicek about uh, the the trouble, the, the Eastern Partnership on the edge. That's the title of the of the text. But um, but also there is another text worth recommending, the Eastern Partnership Troubles by Nicolas Tsendrovich uh, uh, from the European Commission. And Nicolas is um, explaining how uh, the Eastern Partnership is viewed from Brussels, with uh, a lot of challenges indeed, including the lukewarm approach of the general public and the uh, political elites but at the same time what are the promises um, uh, and and why the Eastern partnership really actually uh, remains an important remains an important framework um, maybe not perceived by all in the EU but certainly by a coalition of uh, EU's willing countries that use the framework to reassure that the neighborhood EU's neighborhood, um, remains uh, uh, on track, let's call it that way, um, and for the time being, and uh, in, in, in awaiting for, for better times um, to consolidate the progress. And uh, I, I definitely agree with you. You point out that the association trio um, is one of the more prospective and bright sides of the EAP, but the same cannot be said uh, for uh, Belarus that... Uh, Lukashenko pulled out um, from the format last summer a decision and uh, I, I do I do recall recently um, reading an op-ed uh, that mentioned that if the if Brussels is serious about uh, supporting Belarus democratic opposition then it should be Svetlana Tikhanovskaya who should represent Belarus at the EAP what are your thoughts on that legally she is not a country representative but neither is Mr Lukashenko I mean, he is not recognized. He he cannot be, and he himself. I mean, his words declaring that he will withdraw from Belarus from the format. First of all, doesn't mean a thing, and secondly, it they simply help uh, the EU um, not to invite him and to be in a difficult position. 
because, uh, well, what if he decided to come? Well, then you would be really in trouble. Uh, whether Mr. Uh, whether Miss Tihanovska uh, should be invited, uh, I think by all means yes, she should participate uh, with a different status and be it as an observer, be it, be it as a um, civil society voice in 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 uh, from Eastern Partnership. That is of key importance. I mean, definitely she is today a symbol of why Belarus uh, matters and who uh, and how many people in Belarus expect that um, that they are that their voice is being recognized and is, is being heard of so you cannot ignore uh, simply yeah, it, it cannot ignore the the will of the people that manifested on the streets and earlier took part in elections uh, definitely not voting for mr Lukashenko. Um, yeah but uh, let's be here uh, in honest with ourselves the summit is not going to be a breakthrough it is an important step in the direction it's a long road um, and um, i just wonder how much uh, of, of this um, will bear also some uh, echoes or i mean will will echo any any messages and talks we have also heard at the summit for democracy meetings last week and i do believe there will be a lot uh, a lot, uh, a lot of uh, of of, um, of topics and uh, engagement uh, from the summit for democracy uh, will have a spillover effect on over many other meetings. It predominantly in the U.S. administration, but also in the other context, uh, uh, in the other contexts uh, where U.S. Uh, presence and symbol is so so important. And Ms. Tsihanovska was speaking at the summit for democracy. Um, so in, in a way, EU cannot also uh, misalign from, from the approach it already has taken um, by also endorsing Tsihanovska through uh, you know, European Parliament and other meetings on a high level, uh, high level meetings in, in, in the EU. And uh, I, I don't think that the summit itself will detract uh, any attention from the uh, the wider and more urgent security crisis in the region, with Russia's tr uh, troop buildup on border with Ukraine, and you know, last week um, on all headlines that uh, Putin and Biden held their teleconference call, um, by which Biden uh, Biden uh, clearly stated that Russia would face severe economic sanctions in case of Russian invasion. Um, but but that uh, U.S. would not put any of its own troops or boots uh, to support Ukraine on Ukrainian soil. And I'd like to remark here uh, a pretty good, uh, a pretty decent um, uh, op-ed response from Ukraine's foreign minister that I recommend meeting, Dmitry Kuleba, who wrote that um, Ukraine isn't asking uh, the West to put boots on Ukraine, so it's asking for... Uh, weapons. It's asking for military training uh, and support, basically, to uh, reinforce Ukraine's capacity in that. Um, however, what I also would like to talk about is that um, this week, this week, um, Assistant uh, Secretary for the Bureau of European and Eurasian Affairs in the U.S., uh, Dr. Karen Donfried, uh, she will be visiting Russia and Ukraine. Uh, from the 13th to 15th of December. 
Um, and uh, following the conclusion of uh, Putin-Biden talks, Biden did mention that uh, we might see another uh, meeting uh, with, uh, with uh, a few involving Moscow and NATO, NATO countries. And uh, the response from Central European members has been that we want to be included in those talks um, as this problem inevitably pertains to us. So um, w- what do you make of uh, the situation going forward? Will Central European voices be heard in, in the matters regarding Ukraine? Well, I, I think there is a promise already uh, after uh, Mr. Biden's uh, had, had uh, several talks with Central European leaders that there is, a, there is an open channel of uh, communication and consultation and there is nothing of a deal or a back, backdoor talks. Um, uh, what most likely is uh, going to happen, this is expected, uh, is that the US, by all diplomatic channels, would underline uh, the potential costs and how serious it is, um, together with allies, um, should Russia violate uh, the uh, sovereignty of Ukraine more than it already has. Um, so um, there is uh, there is definitely a pressure, and it's understandable and expected pressure from Ukraine and other Central Europeans um, on on the U.S. diplomacy. But so far, so good. Also, after the after the talk a video conference, uh, Mr. Biden held with Mr. Putin, that was the uh, the outcome. Apparently, what we heard was definitely uh, something that we should have. Uh, we, we we should have waited for and we we expected and, and there was a general level of satisfaction that there was a u.s strong response to to russians build up military build up on the border at the same time i think everybody is aware that because of that way of approach where putin's russia wants to be treated seriously by uh, only because it causes troubles uh, and headaches by military buildup. And uh, the expectation is that uh, the situation will repeat itself and we will have over and over again uh, similar situations in the foreseeable future where Russia will keep their uh, capabilities of, of aggression on alert, high on alert, and it will alert the, the allies for for a considerable amount of time. Definitely, and um, slightly beyond our region of expertise, Wojtek. But if you could, um, if you could briefly direct our uh, our listeners to actually a podcast that was released as a special edition last week um, with Tatiana. Oh, indeed. Um, we have uh, we have a foresight, ongoing foresight on Western Balkans, and Tatiana Poliak-Gruch, program director, in a previous podcast episode, special uh, podcast episode released uh, during the week, has interviewed Marko Savkovic uh, from Belgrade, Belgrade Security Forum, um, expert on uh, foreign policy and security policy, um, where uh, where they talked about ongoing wave of protests in Serbia that um, attracts a lot of attention across Europe, uh, uh, mostly because it puts the government of Serbia in jeopardy 
uh, as uh, the protest started um, seemingly as uh, a pro-ecological protest uh, against uh, against the pollution, against the uh, buildup of a, of a, a polluting industry, and um, and they turn out eventually to be a sort of a, a sort of a test of popularity and credibility of the government. So watch this space and do listen to that podcast. Thank you everyone for joining us this week and we wish a very pleasant uh, week ahead here uh, from the Zigrad Insight. Uh, exactly. Have a good week. <laughs>